Hello there, it's Omar Mualem, editor of The Yards, the magazine of the downtown Edmonton and Oliver Community Leagues, and host of The Yards Podcast. After quite a few live shows, we're back in the studio for another intimate conversation with a central Edmonton influencer. And today we have one of the most influential. I mean, it's kind of his job as MLA of Edmonton Centre. Or is it the other way around, our job to influence him? I'm talking, of course, about David Shepard. What do we know about our riding's representative? Not that much. When the new Democrats swept to power last spring, they brought with them a roster of relative unknowns, and many still had their doubts that an Edmonton Center, a musician and communications professional, could unseat the Liberals' highly respected MLA of 18 years, Laurie Blakeman, including Shepard himself. In the end, the vote wasn't even close, and Shepard became one of the first declared winners of that historic night. Half a year later, the budget is tabled, well, some of it, and the honeymoon, as they say, is over. We're going to meet our MLA today and find out what he and the NDP government envision for Edmonton Center. David Shepard, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me in. So we're kind of in your zone right now because you used to be a recording engineer. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did spend uh, about, yeah, probably about four or five years sort of working and doing some engineering, yeah. And what kind of music? Uh, wide variety, um, just a lot of, lot of small indie bands, a lot of demos, uh, did a, did a few hip hop tracks. Uh, really? Did, yeah, did an album for a local guy, uh, named Jonic. Oh, I you, totally you, know. Yeah, 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 yeah I totally know Jonic. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, did, I collaborated on a track with the Joe. Uh, I did a beat, and he came in and, and did some vocals on that. Really? And, what yeah, what song would that go- be? A uh, song called Big Time Broke. I so, totally know that track. Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. So, I had no idea, actually. Yeah, so yeah, so it was dabbled in a bit of that. Um, did a yeah, did a couple uh, albums. I was really proud of. Worked with an Edmonton band called uh, Audio Squadron, uh-huh. and we did a great album with them uh, before that when they. And they you're also, a musician yeah. yourself. Yes, I am. Yeah. yeah, what kind? I play piano, keyboards, and I, I sing a bit, yeah. Yeah. Is that what you listen to as well, or what, what's, what, what, what kind of music do you listen to? Uh, I listen to everything across the spectrum. So, yeah, I definitely listen to some hip-hop. I really like uh, the good, the organic, kind of jazzy, rootsy kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I listen to it right across the spectrum. Sort of went through a big singer-songwriter phase. Still have some of that stuff around, but, yeah. No kidding. Okay, cool. So, uh, do do you still get a do you still get a chance to go out to live music shows and, and stuff now? I try to get out to shows, but yeah, not so much since the election. It's uh, right. It's been pretty incredibly busy. But I was able to get down to a couple of the uh, live music lunches at the at the legislature grounds. Uh, got out to some stuff at the Up and Downtown Music Festival uh, back right. in October. So yeah, trying to make an effort to get out when I can. I know it's totally vogue for us to to mourn the closure of uh, of Edmonton music venues with. The artery and the pawn shop, and now Wonder Bar. But there's also been this migration, or or uh, or these new venues opening up in downtown, like the Mercury Room, and um, there one opened up this weekend called Ninety Nine Ten, and then the Church of John and the mm-hmm. Needle are just around the corner. So that must be kind of exciting and and uh, and hopeful for for Edmonton Center, and then along with the Edmonton Music Initiative, um, that it, it, it sounds like maybe a, actually a hopeful time for. For, for live music venues in the city I'm, I'm hoping so you know it's it's something there's there's been this cycle that that always happens in, in Edmonton you know venues turn over I mean and, and and it's it's happened regularly it's happened for a while you know when I first started playing in the Edmonton music scene I started playing with uh, Mike McDonald from Junior Gun Wild in the Mike McDonald band and so of course he had all the stories of back in the day all the venues they used to play and that he played when he was starting the out the golden era yeah exactly you know and I sort of came in right at sort of the tail 
tail end of the of the of the sidetrack era. You know, we had New City and uh, New City Liquid Lounge opened up around that time, the late '90s, and a few others sort of came and went. We saw the power plant go at that time, and so it's 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 a natural cycle. But it is really encouraging to see right now that even as we're losing a few places, I think that we're really seminal for a lot of people that are around the scene right now. Like you said, there are some new opportunities coming up, and with the downtown core going through its own revitalization right now, um, I'm hoping that we're going to see a, a bigger future for some of these places. Yeah, I hope so. And I, and I mentioned the Edmonton Live Music Initiative, which I think is part of the Alberta Music Cities Initiative. Right. What what are these exactly, and what, uh, what might come out of these? So the Edmonton Live Music Initiative is something that was put together by a friend of mine, a drummer in uh, another recording engineer, a guy named Tom Bennett. Uh, we played together back in the day when I had this group called the Rain Dogs. We did all covers of Tom Waits. <laughs> and so I pulled Tom into playing that. You must, a, did, did you do, did I, you sing? I was singing. I was not attempting to sing like Tom Waits. Okay. Not even remotely. Well, there goes my no. next question. Yeah. So it wasn't a tribute project in that sense. It was just, but anyways. Uh, yeah. So I've known Tom for a long time and he's just a, he's a really busy guy. He's been really involved in the scene and just really invested in wanting to make it a better place for, uh, for players across the spectrum. So he sat down and sort of pulled together kind of a brain trust. He brought in Senator Tommy Banks, uh, a few other people sort of formed a, formed a board of the Edmonton Live Music Initiative, and they started kicking around ideas to say, what can we do to support live venues in Edmonton? So they basically came came down to uh, came down to two two things that they they wanted to run with. Uh, one is uh, Tommy Banks told told Tom the story of how back in the late fifties, uh, moving into the sixties, basically it was really hard for people to get a liquor license in Edmonton. A lot of restrictions, a lot of rules, and what they did was they decided they, it was time to make some changes and ease things up. But as part of that, to control it, what they did was they said, okay, well, if you have a live music combo of so and so many players, then you get to stay open an hour later. What a, what and a get to sell, sell more. So it law. was odd thing, but I mean, of course. So you know, it wasn't long before you know, uh, you know, there everybody had a live band of some sort because, so, of course, right, gave them the opportunity to sell more, sell more alcohol. So you know, Tommy and the Wu Tang Clan yeah. was probably elated as well. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yes. So, so that, so yeah. I mean, and that continued on through the seventies when we had really a massive live music boom in Alberta. Then those rules got changed going into the eighties, and then with the economic slump, it all it kind of we kind of lost a lot of that momentum. So. One of the ideas that's being put forward by the Edmonton Live Music Initiative then is looking if we can make some changes to the ALGC regulations to see if uh, to see if we can make make it uh, more make it more make it easier for people to operate live music venues and make it easier for them to make a bit of a profit. What kind of changes do you think we might well, see? Uh, well, one of the ones is like the basic one that I mentioned. So looking at uh, allowing live music venues to stay open an hour later. So then they're able to increase their increase their alcohol sales or liquor sales, mm. and then uh, that helps make them more profitable and makes right. it easier for for them to to uh, to be able to afford to hire musicians. So that's one. Um, there's other things we can can look at, I guess, just in sort of terms of how licenses are granted and how they're given out. So I know I've heard some folks sort of talk about the difficulty in putting on hall shows in these day and those sorts of things these days where you're selling alcohol. So we could take a look and see if there's some ways we could try maybe try to ease things up. I know in Manitoba the uh, I was just reading about this recently. They uh, went through a phase themselves a, a little while ago where they sort of had, I think, like 
half a dozen different kinds of liquor licenses and it was all a very complicated scheme and they made it a little bit simpler and as part of that sort of have us have specialized uh have a specialized license just for live entertainment venues Mm. that sort of uh, makes makes eases some of the regulations makes it easier for them to operate so what made you run for higher office well, uh, you know, there's there's a few. Th- I've always been interested in politics. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to always flip to the editorial section of the journal so I could read Bloom County and Doonesbury. And you know, I didn't know who these American politicians were, but I, I found it just I don't know something about it was just fascinating to me. So you know. Uh, once I started going for my communications degree, I'd had some issues with my condo board and gotten involved and had to organize a bunch of owners to to call a special meeting and make some changes and fire a property mm-hmm. manager. And so I'd sort of got a sense that I was good at organizing and, and putting those sorts of things together. And so, so, to, so the condo board didn't turn you off of <laughs> forever for the rest of your life, as it I, does for most. Um, no, actually, you know, it sort of it sort of uh, sort of reawakened kind of a stubborn streak in me. If there's something <laughs> that I don't think is right, then I then I kind of want to stand, tend to want to stand up and fight it. So you know, I I sort of had that on the back burner. I've been following Canadian politics and Alberta politics pretty closely. So I I had some time on my hands after I finished up. I'd done some advocacy work with the Edmonton Bike Coalition last year on the 102nd Ave Bike Lane. Mm-hmm. You know, that was successful, and I, all of a sudden I had this time on my hands again. I kind of went well. Well, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, you know, this was just after uh, a bunch of the Wild Rose had crossed the floor, you know, in December of last year. And I thought, well, you know, we, we need to have a decent opposition in Alberta. It looks like the Wild Road has, has kind of folded a bit, you know, and the NDP had always been the folks that were represented by values. And I said, well, you know, I'd always thought maybe 10, 15 years down the road, I'd like to run for office. I'll right. go and I'll talk to the NDP and offer to volunteer. So, you know, maybe I can get some political comms experience, yeah. work a campaign, kind of get a sense of it, you know, and sort of get some experience for the future. And then surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I talked to uh, talked to Chris Fulmer from the NDP and he was kind of, he looked at the stuff I'd done, the advocacy work, and he said, well, would you be interested in being a candidate? And I said, oh, no, I'm not ready for that yet. I don't know nearly enough and just don't feel like I've got the experience. But he uh, I, later on, I got introduced to David Egan and we kind of had a chat and went for coffee. And he kind of, you know, convinced me that, hey, it's possible to run a small campaign, not likely to win. But, you know, there could be a good possibility, you know, three or four or five years down the road. So run a small campaign this time, spend a few years getting my name out in the community and then Take a real, take a real run for the big prize. So you're saying the win was unexpected? Um, yeah, it was. I mean, certainly when I sat down and talked to David in January, there it didn't seem very likely that the NDP was going to certainly not become government, and uh, there seemed to be a pretty slim chance that uh, you know that that. Um, Oh, Lori Blakeman would be upset in Edmonton Center. Right. I mean, she's been the MLA for 18 years, and Absolutely. you know, even even when the historic victory of the NDP was uh, going from improbable to probable. Edmonton Center was still a, you know, still a, a big question mark. You know, not everyone was convinced that the NDP was capable of taking that. Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, I, you know, I was running numbers in my head during the campaign, not that much. I mean, I was mostly just, you know, nose to the grindstone, head down, running and and doing doing the campaign. But, you know, it's running the numbers in my head, seeing the way things were tilting. I thought it was it was possible that it could happen if enough, you know, NDP supporters did bring their vote back home and the high profile of Rachel on the on the provincial scene for people that were splitting away from the PCs. But yeah, I I I considered it a distant possibility, really. Did did the even even the day of the election? Did you 
did you did you think that it was going to happen that you were going to win or, uh, or did the results come in as a surprise to you as it did I, I thought it was possible yeah I thought maybe but I thought and I thought I thought maybe but it's going to be really close so so you're here now yeah you're the MLA for Edmonton Center um, big shoes to fill with with yes. Laurie Blakeman sure um, is it is it weird from to go from being an anonymous bureaucrat to an MLA for a, a growing and large provincial riding? Uh, you know, it was at you know it's at first you're just kind of stunned and ecstatic. At least I was. You know, it was kind of just like wow, this is this is amazing. And so you know, kind of kind of on that high for a couple of days, and then it's just extremely intense. There was an extremely intense period where I was uh, still working for the city of Edmonton. I gave them a full two weeks notice just because it was a heavy file and they needed the help. So there was an incredibly intense part there where I was juggling the two. And then yeah, once that sort of wrapped up, and then all of a sudden I kind of sat down. Then sort of the enormity of it kind of hit me. I went. Okay, this is big. Ooh, this boy. is this is big. So yeah. you know, I, at that point, I made a I made a real conscious decision that I was just really going to tr- work hard and try to hit the ground running. And you're out there. I mean, I see you. At, I see you at uh, at all the events. You're you're out there. You're shaking hands. You're meeting people. You now you've lived in the the riding for a long time. Is there anything? What like what are you learning about Edmonton Center that you didn't realize before? Like how has your eyes opened up through both campaigning and and now um, you know winning the winning the seat? Yeah. Um, well, part of it has just been uh, one of the big things has been just the the real diversity of the constituency. I mean, it's an incre- like you mentioned, it's an incredibly dynamic place. Right. There's Socially so many diverse, things going class, on. Yeah, diversity. exactly. So, you know, you've got everything from, you know, new new Canadians, lots of lots of immigrants and new Canadians. You've got all the student population, you've got all the young professionals, you've got quite a large number of seniors and seniors residences, and then with that, you've got quite a few people who are, are you know, on one form of government assistance or another, so folks that are that are on AISH or uh, P or needing other forms of help. And then, of course, just being, while well, the urban center and sort of bridging some of those urban the urban fringe communities, quite a large number of people who are having difficulties with issues like addictions and homelessness. So, and then on top of that, of course, then you've got all the businesses, mm-hmm. and then you've got sort of the booming art scene that's sort of centered around downtown. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just it's just amazed me, I guess, just how much stuff really is happening here. Is that one of the reasons why you wanted to, uh, why, why you're on the Standing Committee for Families and Communities? Because I know that there's a revitalization element to that as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, uh, so in at, towards the end of May, beginning of June, Rachel sat down with each of us and kind of talked about, okay, here's the committees, what would you be interested in? And I did specifically request to be on the Standing Committee for Families and Communities, just mm-hmm. because I recognized that that's going to be a big part of a lot of the a uh, lot of the things I'm working on on behalf of Edmonton Center. And what's on the committee's agenda these days? Uh, so far, nothing, not too much specific. Uh, we did uh, review some, we did speak with the mental health advocate mm-hmm. about some changes um, that she's recommending for her role and uh, and for some possible uh, amendments to the Mental Health Act. So we did have a meeting where we went through some of that. Is that specific to homelessness? Um, partly, partly. It's certainly a big part of it is looking at it, helping people who are dealing with, uh, with who are having psychiatric difficulties, mm-hmm. mental health issues, uh, many of whom are sort of uh, homeless or, or, or living on the streets. And so, yeah, looking at things like how we can most effectively have community treatment orders and sort of be able to provide services and supports for them to help stabilize uh, folks in those situations. Have you reached the point where the committee's um, discussed any revitalization goals or targets? Nothing quite along those lines yet. Mm-hmm. So um, right now we're... we're uh, 
all wrapped up in estimates for the budget. Okay. So we're we're looking over the the budgets for uh, for several of the ministries. I think we've got a total of eight that we review. So we've uh, we've done three out of those eight. We've got another five to go. Now revitalization is something that's typically um, associated with municipal government. What what? How does the Alberta provincial government play a role in in those kind of community? Uh, Revitalizations. Well, I think there definitely has to be real partnership between uh, between the province and the city. Um, certainly, I mean it's up to, it's up to the city to make a lot of decisions, I guess, about what it wants in the way of uh, of business and that sort of thing. The downtown core, things like zoning and opening up those spaces and how that's set up. So that's certainly within the city's purview. But you know, the as as a province, we we support a lot of those things. Certainly, I think a lot of the economic initiatives we're putting forward in our budget. Um, you know, the uh, the extra cap. That's available now through the ATB, some of the other investment, uh, the opportunities that are available now through the job creation grant, some of those things are things that are going to be really important in trying to build up the the business culture, I think, within Edmonton and particularly within downtown Edmonton and particularly building on the sort of make something Edmonton spirit that's been building up in the last few years. Uh, the idea of supporting and growing startups and trying to create an economic environment where entrepreneurs can really thrive. So I think that's something that is a province we can support. And certainly the other issue being, as we revitalize the downtown core, we are displacing a population of people that's been there for quite some time. Mm -hmm. So those, whether that's folks that have been living on the streets or whether folks that have been living in uh, what's been more affordable housing along 107th Ave in that area along sort of the north edge of downtown, where we might see the property values start to rise and right. become and less I affordable. And I think we are. And, yeah. and of course, you... You live in this area. You live in the 107 area. I Queen do. Mary Park. Yeah, I'm just over on 112th Street, just off 107. So we're practically neighbors, actually. <laughs> okay. I'm just on 116 and 107. And uh, I find it to be such a such a fascinating neighborhood. I, I love it there. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, yeah, it's uh, it's deserving of the bad rap that it gets. But you know, 90% of the time, it's. It's totally different. Um, what do you like about living there? You know, uh, I moved there because at first it was uh, it was close to work. It was convenient. I was working at Long and McQuaid at the time. So, uh, but I, you know, I I always love living centrally. I like being able to get to the River Valley, you know, easily, mm -hmm. which I can from there. Uh, again, it was affordable for me at the time um, because, uh, well, I mean, at that time I was well, I was working at Long and McQuaid. I was still a starving musician, as it were. So, and how I, and when did you move into uh, two thousand eight? 2008. Okay, yeah. so so quite quite a few years ago now. Um, I mean, since then the, the neighborhoods changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, for physically, for one, we're starting to see these signs going up that say "Design District." Do you have any? Thoughts on those? Uh, you know, I I did spend a, a couple years working as a communications coordinator for the North Edge Business Association. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate the work that they've been doing in the area and that they've been working to to work with. And I know that yeah, community by design was um, was a theme that sort of had been come up with by the uh, by the agency Free that was working in the area there. So they it was sort of a marketing and branding operation they'd helped design for it. So I think the design district is trying to build off that. Um, is it in some ways, in some ways, it doesn't quite reflect. I think a lot of the neighborhood. Certainly, I mean, there are some design-oriented businesses and stuff there, but I mean, it doesn't 
capture. I, I think the, lo- the lo- it doesn't capture a lot of the essence of what's right. really there in the what, community. What is the essence? You know, um, well, I think certainly the multicultural aspect is is a big one. You know, certainly the area that I live in, uh, you know, in in the small walk ups and stuff in and around my block, certainly very multicultural. You know, again, a lot of new Canadians, a lot of recent Canadians, uh, a lot of people getting a start, and certainly there's. There's yeah, there's a lot of lot of restaurants and African yeah, shops. The, the business sector is actually, and, yeah. I think, probably better represented by the um, East African community than the creative community. Absolutely, I think I think what it is is uh, you know we've got some larger, more established you know businesses that are in the area, and they've and just because well, of course they're they're more familiar and they've been around longer and and they have a bit more. I guess they they have a more entrenched social history in them. They they tend to sort of dominate, I guess, sort of the business thing. Yeah. There. And some of the smaller mom and pop shops and folks. So these are folks who are newer to Canada, still learning to understand the culture, learning how to navigate things. In some cases, still really learning English. So unfortunately, I think sometimes then some of those businesses get overlooked and kind of get lost. Yeah, I've I've talked to immigration settlement workers about this, um, and. They were, I mean, some of them were, were actually repulsed, but, but, but more than that, I think they were unsettled by it as if there was this movement underfoot that they and their clients weren't, weren't really informed of. And you can call it revitalization or gentrification or just evolution, but the neighborhood is undergoing quite a transformation. Mm-hmm. And young professionals like you and I are actually the agents of that change. And I mean, you you mentioned values, uh, property values going up. Queen Mary Park's property values, I think, were the second highest increase in Edmonton last year. Hmm. And that'll eventually affect the many low-income and largely immigrant renters there. Do you, do you think that we, and I, I guess I'm... I'm thinking maybe as as citizens, but but also as maybe as polit- as a politician yourself, do we have a responsibility to protect their ability to live there, or is that just left to market control? Um, or market forces. I think we definitely have to look at what we can do to uh, to try to mitigate some of these effects. What we can do specifically, I'm not sure yet. That's something I still have to look at a little further and get a better sense of kind of all the all the things that are at play. Um, certainly, uh, certainly, I've had some great conversations with Scott McKean uh, just the other day with Mayor Iverson as well about the need for affordable housing in Edmonton and the need to build that up. I know certainly going through in, in campaigning and door knocking and going through some of these buildings, sort of seeing the state of disrepair mm-hmm. and sort of the quality of a, a lot of these sort of small walk ups in some of the areas along 107th it's it's clear that you know we need to find some way to start offering a better quality of housing for folks and when, when you meet when you meet um low-income renters uh the the areas large immigrate uh, immigrant population and large aboriginal population um, people who aren't typically represented by politicians and are frankly probably skeptical that their politicians are even out to represent them what do they tell you that they want hmm. that's a good question i mean definitely they're they're looking for support they they um you know a lot are just looking for the opportunity to be able to get a a good paying job you know, they want they want to be able to earn a living. They want to be able to uh, start to establish a life for themselves here and become independent. So that's certainly something I, that I that I did hear from a number sort of uh, concerns with 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 unemployment and difficulty mm-hmm. finding work. Um, quality of housing is something that's come up 
a, a few times too, sort of being able to access, you know, better quality housing or be able to, um, and affordable afford, housing. Yeah. Affordable. Yeah. yeah. What's the province doing about that or what can the province do about that? Well, right now, um, you know, having had the opportunity to talk with the, with the, uh, with Sarah Hoffman, she's the minister of seniors and it, within seniors right now is, is housing. It's uh, sort of compartmentalized within that ministry. So I've had a chat with her and so she's definitely, uh, looking at it. I know that the current budget does not have any dollars specifically allocated to affordable housing. But the reason for that is, you know, uh, our government is trying to take a bit of a different tack in that we don't want to make promises before if we're not ready to back them up. Mm-hmm. So basically, we want to make sure we do the research, that we do the, have a good understanding when we commit dollars, we know they're going to specific projects that are that are proven and are going to be the right right place, right. be the right project at the right time. So I know that she's, uh, she's, she's, she's uh, having some conversations with some of the uh, partners across the province. I know certainly myself as an MLA, uh, I've been having many conversations with a lot of the uh, local nonprofits who are involved in the housing area. Been talking with Don Iverson, met with uh, several staff from his office a couple weeks ago, along with another MLA, Lauren Dack, who has a background in real estate. And so me and Lauren are working together specifically on the housing file for Edmonton. And so, yeah, I know uh, Mayor Iverson is quite committed to this as well. He really wants to work closely with us at the province to help coordinate with the nonprofits locally to come up with an overall strategy. Because I think the biggest thing is that we really do need to get everyone working together to address this problem. So that's, you know, getting a provincial strategy in line with the municipal strategy Mm -hmm. and then bringing all of the nonprofit partners on board with that to make sure that we're tackling this problem in a systematic and focused way. now, I know that you're passionate about active transportation, and you're, you're one of the fabled winter cyclists, right? Is yes, that, that's yes, correct. I am. How long, have you been, how long have you been doing that for? Um, you know, uh, when I started working at the Canada Revenue Agency, that was in 2011, then that's when I started, yeah, sort of cycling to work full-time. At Long and McQuaid, I would cycle back and forth yeah. over the university. I'd cycle over to the university when I was back in school, but I used transit then, too. It was sort of, yeah, 2011 was kind of the year I committed to cycling full-time. And you obviously helped out with the 102 uh, Avenue bike corridor. You know, goes without saying that you're quite excited about that being around the corner. Um, is the province going to help us get more? bike infrastructure? Can they? Do they play a role in that? You know, it's interesting. When I first got elected, uh, that was one of the thoughts that crossed my mind at first. Kind of like, okay, well, I'm not going to have time for any bike advocacy anymore. There's not anything I can do at the provincial level. But, you know, I had a great opportunity at the end of September to attend a bike commuters conference in Canmore. And they brought in Eleanor McMahon from Ontario. So uh, M- MPP from... Uh, M- is it MPP in Ontario? Yeah, member of provincial parliament. Sure. So she's MPP and a minister out there with the uh, with the with the government. And yeah, she had been part of developing a provincial strategy for cycling in Ontario. And so basically, what they what they decided to what they decided to do is they did this as an external group. They sort of came up. They did a bunch of consultation, did a bunch of research, came up with a provincial cycling strategy, and basically dropped it on the Minister of Transportation's desk and said, "Here you go. The work's done. This is what this is basically just need to do." And the idea is that if you implement, if you start thinking at the highest levels about incorporating uh, active 
active transportation infrastructure. So whether that's cycling or more pedestrian walking paths or, or what have you. If you're thinking about that from the highest levels of strategy and design, then that's going to start filtering down and affecting how everything how everything mm. is approached. So it's it's an interesting idea and one that I, that I'm 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 kind of toying with a bit. I haven't had a time to really dig into it really deeply, but I was asked to provide a report from that conference to the Ministry of Transportation. So I'm going to be working on that over over the next next month and a bit, uh, basically sort of breaking it down and sort of looking at yeah, what ways can we can we support this because it is. 100% in line, you know, with with our values and with what we're putting forward. We we recognize that that we need to uh, find more ways to reduce our, our uh, CO2 levels, greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. It's better for health in the long run. If people are more active, they're going to be healthier. That's going to reduce our costs. So I think definitely there's a recognition at the provincial level that these are areas that we want to see investment in. What, what else do you want to see happen as far as active transportation in, in Edmonton? Well, uh, I'm like like we said, you know, really happy to see the 102nd Avenue lane coming and the 84th Avenue lane coming. Um, looking forward now to the process that's put in place. Of course, there was a bit of disappointment with the removal of the lanes on 40th Avenue, a bit yeah, of 106th there and 95th. From, from your end, I remember yeah, you tweeting about that. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, at first, yeah, very much so. But it's a recognition that basically we are where we are now. And, you know, there's uh, several of the counselors have stepped up to the table and said, you know, having to taken that step now we're we're committing doubly now to ensuring that we have a real process of consultation and develop a new bike infrastructure plan so uh, I'm very much on board with that looking forward to supporting that and uh, hoping that we're going to see the development now of real quality bike infrastructure across Edmonton. Is LRT technically considered part of active transportation does that fall into the definition? I, I, I'm not sure it would quite be called active transportation yeah. because there's not or much activity in taking it. But certainly it's it's a component of it, right? Yeah. Because people, you know, if they live far south, they can cycle to the LRT and then take it downtown, you know. Or, or they'll walk you know, 10 minutes or, to a station. Exactly, right. Like so it's, it's something that gets people more active and gets them out and moving around. So I think it's definitely a component. Yeah, here, here's what I don't get though. I mean, we know that we know that Edmonton and Calgary are starved for for light rail transit funding. We know that the and we also know that the bigger and more roads we build um, for these cities, the more car dependent they they mm. become. And yet there was 2.9 billion for ring roads over the next five years, and for LRT, you know, I'm some some possible funding. We we don't actually know just yet. And you know, and I don't bring this up as you know what Rob Ford would call a latte drinking downtowner um but because i'm you know i as a downtowner i'm i'm set as far as public transit goes i got what i need to get where i need to um but it's these new areas by the ring roads that need them and and i just wonder are we are we setting the right priorities for city infrastructure this way well, I, I I agree. We need to we need to be thinking uh, much more about how we're how we're going to get people around by different ways. Because you're right, Edmonton is a growing and a booming city. Yeah, we're not getting any smaller, and with more people comes more vehicles. So regardless of whether we it, you know if we don't do anything, if we just let keep going the way we are. Edmonton is going to become increasingly congested over the next few years. So having worked on the LRT file with the city, you know, mm-hmm. I know that one of the catchphrases we used all the time was we have to find more ways to move more people down existing corridors. 
And that's really the reality of it. So we've you can only make corridors. Yeah, exactly. Well, you can only make the roads so wide. Right. Right. So I mean, within the downtown core and the established neighborhoods, there's just you you can't add more lanes. It's not there. That's sort of so, core to the sustainability factor. Exactly. So we need to instead find okay, how can we use the corridors that we have and move more people along them? So things like the Valley Line, you know, which is going to be going in from downtown now to Mill Woods. Yeah, that's going to take away a lane of traffic in each direction on a, in a couple places. So that means yeah, there's less room for cars, but you know, we can move a lot more people in an LRT mm-hmm. car than we can in individual vehicles. So it's really it's about recognizing, I guess, that we need to make these changes and kind of grow up as a city mm-hmm. and start, you know, taking on some of the things that mature cities do, like improved transit. So do we have funding for the Valley Line from, from the Alberta government? It's not officially committed yet, but, you know, there are definitely dollars set aside towards uh, towards transit funding in the budget. Um, hasn't been completely defined yet, but I'm pretty encouraged that I think we're going to, we're going to see support on that. Okay. Um, one last question. So, you know, uh, you've, you've been living here since 2008, you know, the, you know, um, the Edmonton, uh, you know, Edmonton Center and the, and the downtown core very well. Um, but there's only so much you can do as an MLA. So let's, let's pretend that for a second, you're not an MLA anymore. Let's pretend <laughs> you are a fife and Edmonton Center is your fiefdom. You can redevelop it however you want in one day. What would tomorrow look like? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Bike lanes everywhere. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, really, yeah. If I had, if I had the power, I guess, to sort of, to sort of rebuild our, our downtown core, I mean, I think that would really be the key thing that I want to build it around is, is walkability. Yeah. You know, walkability, bikeability, human-sized infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You, know, it's, it's, you know, it's great to see all the development and everything that we've got going on now. Um, you know, certainly, yeah, I recognize the value of the arena district and everything that's going to bring in a lot of the new condo towers and that. But, you know, with that, it's come sort of, a, I think, awareness, too, though, of how much, uh, how much we often forget, I guess, about pedestrian movement and stuff like that, you know, with sidewalks that have been blocked off and, you know, and difficulty for people to get around and during periods. And so certainly, I think that's what I've been hearing from a lot of the people that live in and around the downtown cores. What they really want to see is real walkable community so you know uh, smaller community-based businesses places where you you know you want to go and walk with your family with your friends where you can spend time where you can socialize and just feel like yeah the downtown core is a place where you can live Mm -hmm. that sounds like my my ideal downtown core as well uh david thank you so much for your time thanks for coming into the studio hey my pleasure thanks for having me That's all for the Yards Podcast. We broadcast an episode monthly and publish a magazine quarterly. Look for the next issue in December in your mailbox if you live in Oliver or downtown or one of the businesses listed on our website. Read us at the Yards Yag, that's the Yards, Y-E-G, dot C-A. We tweet at the Yards Yag and we're on Facebook too. The Yards is funded by the Downtown Edmonton and Oliver Community Leagues. If you have a story idea or you know someone who plays a big part in downtown, if you are that person, get in touch at editor at theyardsyag.ca. Special thanks as always to Stephen Bowers, who generously lets us use his studio. Check him out at Stephen Bowers, that's B-O-W-E-R-S dot com. Thanks again for listening.